Well, the Memorial Cup may have been handed out and the Canadian Hockey League season by that definition is now in the books, but we're not yet done with our season here on the OHL podcast. We are going to stay with you and take you right through the NHL draft later this month and look at the OHL players, of course, that will probably go high in that draft and then analyze the outcome afterwards. And then we'll take our summer break. The we is me. I'm Mike Farwell. Find me on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL. That guy over there, Dan Mahar. Find him on Twitter at Dan Mahar. And send us an email anytime, by the way, ohlpodcast at rogers.com. If there's something you want us to touch on before the end of our season here, we're all ears. I don't know how many are still tuned in at this point as the really nice weather sets in, but I don't think there's ever a bad time in this country to talk about hockey. So, Dan, I think where we'll start this week is in the Ontario Hockey League with that trade window opening up. And surprise, surprise, of the three deals that have been made, Niagara's in on two of them. Why not? (laughs) (laughs) He had to be getting twitchy down there, Mike, with the trade window closed for a period of time. You know, what do do I do? Do I get groceries? Do I have to go to the library? No, I got to make trades. So the window opens up and we got our ice dogs crawling through with a couple trades. I think what he maybe could have considered, I know, I know the pockets are very deep, but perhaps a part-time job to pay the sanctions. I don't know. Not that he needs it, but that's the joke, the bad joke that I would make in this regard. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, probably not a bad idea to save up a few pennies there. So uh, maybe maybe some money went went the other way in these trades. Who knows? So one of the deals that was made by Niagara was the acquisition of a goaltender, which we know that the ice dogs are going to need because Josh Rosenzweig was one of the players caught up in the latest ice dogs scandal. So there's that. Here's okay. Your glass half full of this would be you, whether you're a Rangers fan or not, I would argue saying Mike McKenzie's a bloody genius and your glass half empty side of this especially perhaps if you're an Ice Dogs fan, is what on earth is Double D, Darren Dobler doing, giving up so much for Marcus Vandenberg? And I say that not as a knock on Vandenberg. I think he acquitted himself quite well in almost an emergency-type situation with the Rangers. Jackson Parsons gets injured. Marcus Vandenberg ends up playing way more hockey than he ever expected to play. And as I said, I think acquitted himself rather well but this was a kid that was not only a ninth rounder into the o and the kitchener rangers in this regard were dealing from a position of weakness because they had two 19 year olds in parsons and vandenberg at least this is my assessment of it you're going to have to move one of them and still mike mckenzie is able to pry away not just a roster player in gabriel runco and a fifth rounder but the coveted second rounder as well, all in exchange for 19-year-old Marcus Vandenberg. Thoughts? Well, I'm going to take a slightly different angle on this, Mike. I actually don't mind the deal from Niagara's standpoint for a few reasons. Uh, I, I think you're absolutely right. Mike McKenzie did really well to get what he did. I, I believe Ronco was more or less just a change of scenery. I'm not, not devaluing the player in any way, but I think that was probably a player that maybe had asked out or just wanted, needed a change of scenery. So that was the, the add-on to that deal. Getting a second round pick in the next year's draft was critical for Mike McKenzie. And it's in, you can't argue that's a good haul for a goaltender whom he wasn't really going to 
necessarily be able to use as much this year with Jackson Parsons returning from injury and and young DeFelice probably want uh, with the backup role. So looking at from the other side, from Niagara's side, I know we know why Kitchener made the deal. One thing people uh, need to remember is that goalies in this league often take massive leaps forward from the 18-year-old to 19-year-old seasons. You often get a lot of goalies that were off the radar, low picks like like Vandenberg was in the ninth round uh, that that come into their own in that season and come out of nowhere. I'm not even sure that's the case here where Vandenberg kind of came out of nowhere last year. He he came from great numbers in Stratford the year before, had some great starts for Kitchener in kind of an emergency basis, as you said, the year before. Acquitted himself extremely well this year, I, I felt. Had a couple blips on the radar through the season, but generally was rock solid for the Kitchener Rangers in that role. Um, so if you look at it from that standpoint, I think there's every reason to believe he could take a really big step forward as a 19-year-old and be that rock-solid starting goaltender that that Niagara needs. So, And if you're looking at prices of a starting goaltender who has a year left and a very good chance of an overage season, so very good chance of two seasons, the price suddenly doesn't sound all that high. So it, it could be considered fairly shrewd uh, in the long run. But uh, I, I don't hate it from either side, to be honest. Oh, that's You know what? It's a really interesting take. For me, again, and I'm not knocking Marcus Vandenberg I think the way you describe him is spot on especially looking at his numbers prior to coming to the Ontario Hockey League there's every reason to believe that he could take that next step at at minimum at minimum he's capable and it just the bar just goes up from there right I just looked at it as a guy that was picked in the ninth round coming into the Ontario Hockey League and then going for a second a fifth and a roster player as you point out Sure, change of scenery, but it also got my wheels spinning a little bit when it comes to Mike McKenzie and his acquisitions or deals involving goaltenders. You'll remember in 2018, he went to the Sudbury Wolves and acquired uh, uh, Mario Kalina. I was going to say Marco, Mario yeah. Kalina, uh, and, and he got him for an eighth round pick. At the time, Kalina had been playing for a moment in uh, U Sports, and that eighth round pick that he traded to Sudbury to get Kalina carried him all the way to overtime game seven of the Western conference championship. Kalina really found himself a game. And then a couple of years later, of course, I think everybody remembers the off season deal for Jacob Ingham making deals in the off season as kind of one of Mike McKenzie's calling cards as a GM. He likes the prices better when we're away from the heat of the moment and the heat of the trade deadline. And Jacob Ingham comes from the Mississauga steelheads for a second two thirds and a sixth and Jacob Ingham. That was the year that got cut short by COVID when the Kitchener Rangers were running second to the London Knights. But Jacob Ingham by most accounts was the best goaltender in the Ontario hockey league that year. And a lot of fans were looking forward to a playoff run with Ingham as the backstop and looking back on that deal, what they got out of Ingham certainly eclipsed the second two third and conditional six that was traded to get him. So I just looked at this as Mike McKenzie in a deal involving a goaltender. If you're the other general manager, take a moment. That's all. <laughs> Except that this time he's the one moving one, right? So so he's probably seen these deals come across and, and acquiring a 19-year-old goaltender often comes with the price of a second-round pick. And, and when you look at it, I think Kitchener probably regarded the two they had, Marcus Vandenberg and Jackson Parsons, relatively equally in terms of their ability going into this year. But of course with Parsons coming off the injury, probably had a, a better market, better return for Vandenberg, which made the call fairly simple for them. And especially when you consider that they're not going to be a contender this year, so they can ride uh, Parsons and DeFelice and move the guy that gets you more of a return is I think kind of thinking there. 
Saginaw deals Bodie Stewart to the Barry Colts for a second and a third. And the LeBlanc twins, former Rangers, then Ice Dogs, now Sarnia Sting. So they're on their third OHL team. A bucket full of draft picks goes back Niagara's way in that deal. But it's it's got to be tough when you've got twins on your roster because they always have to move as a package deal. Mostly, yeah. I, I think uh, you'll see Alex Christopoulos kind of was the Good broken mold there, asking to move to Windsor. But you're right; they often go as a package deal, and and this the price kind of has slipped a little on the LeBron LeBron brothers. Sorry. Um, obviously, things didn't work out in Niagara, which was kind of home rank for them coming out of that Southern Tier program. And I think things have not gone quite as well for for either Jacob or Andrew in their OHL careers they would like, but still plenty of upside there to to exhaust with, again, this season coming up and potentially an overage season. So hopefully things will work out for them, but being moved twice young in a young OHL career is not ideal. Yeah, Andrew was a first rounder into this league and Jacob a third to the Kitchener Rangers. And here's what we know in Sarnia, obviously, after they loaded up to take a big run and came up short this past season, there will be ample opportunity for the LeBlanc twins in Sarnia this season. And sometimes that's all it takes, right? You, the right coaching, the right opportunity and things blossom. And and I just referenced it with the goaltenders, but it's true of every player in the OHL where the leap they can take sometimes from their 18-year-old to their 19-year-old season is massive. And we see it with players, probably 20 or 30 players a year we see that with. So here's hoping that the LeBlanc twins can can kind of put it together this coming season because, like you said, they were they were high draft picks. And a lot of is expected of them when they're drafted that high. So I know this is the OHL podcast, but the Memorial Cup was just awarded. And as we talked about last week, it was awarded – to the Quebec Remparts, which means for the fourth straight year, the Q has won the Canadian Junior Hockey Trophy. And we recognized and talked about it last week that the WHL has been in a bit of a drought. Only one of the past 13 Memorial Cups has been won by a Western Hockey League team, which was the 2014 uh, Edmonton Oil Kings, who, by the way, were coached by... Derek Laxdahl, who's now the coach in Oshawa. Here's what's interesting. So if you follow the OHL podcast, maybe you know that on Fridays during the season, and I've put it on the shelf for the summer, we'll get it going again next season, but I do this little blurb on YouTube called Fridays with Farwell. Shameless plug, you should watch it sometime. Check it out on the OHL podcast YouTube channel. So I just kind of talked about that drought that the dub has been experiencing, as we talked about last week on the podcast. Interesting feedback on this, and I, I want to share the feedback without naming the name because he didn't give me permission to do that, but I don't want to take credit for his research. But a coach in the dub reached out to say, interesting analysis, and have you done any comparisons around the league? So we got going into a back and forth on messages, and and he shared – he. he didn't think this analysis that, well, I mean, the drought is obvious, right? You look back at the past uh, 14 Memorial Cups, seven to the Q, five to the O, and just two to the dub. Spokane in 08, and then Edmonton in 2014. But here's here's the thing. It, it seems as though of the three leagues, you could argue that the Quebec teams are being built with almost the express intent of winning the Memorial Cup. Whereas maybe in the other leagues, there's more of an emphasis placed on 
How many players can we send to the World Juniors? How many players can we send into the feeder system of the National Hockey League? This is strictly a surface analysis. But just think, the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, okay, has won seven of the past 14 Memorial Cups. At the same time, the Quebec League has had the lowest number of players drafted to the NHL over that 15-year period and the lowest number of players drafted to the world junior or sent to the world juniors to play for team Canada. In fact, in only one of the past 15 years has the Q sent more players to the NHL than any of the other leagues. That was in 2018 when the Q sent 23 and the dub sent just 20. Other than that, the Q lags in both of those categories, if they matter, sending players to the NHL and sending players to the world juniors yet they're winning the most Memorial Cups. I don't know what to make of it, but I find it kind of interesting. Yeah, and, and like everything, Mike, this is a very nuanced debate. It's it's not black and white like I think people want it to be, where we just say this league's better than this league, which is better than this league. I think my only point in the whole analysis is that things change over time and old biases die hard. And I think what we've seen for a lot of probably our lives lifetimes, Mike, is that there was a pecking order that was considered WHL, OHL, Quebec League in terms of quality. And there was probably an era or several eras where that was true. Um, the Quebec League didn't quite have the depth, uh, the, the numbers of players available to them to draft, and maybe were a little bit lesser on the physicality and certain things that that make pro players might have been true. Uh, for a lot of uh, of years. I'm just saying that I think some of those biases in the pro bias for the Quebec League, remember it used to be the goalie thing, that the best goalies come out of the Quebec League was another bias. I think lately things have changed. And I'm just I'm just arguing that those biases are dying hard, but I don't know that there's a huge quality difference anymore between these leagues. Maybe, maybe still a slight lag in depth in the Quebec League, possibly but on the top end i think you're just getting your your players there are as high quality as any of the three leagues and that was kind of the point i was making the ohl as well and i i just feel like when you talk about players drafted to the nhl players playing on team canada that i still believe some of those biases exist and that's why you see those numbers skewed a bit because uh, i'd love to do that dig deeper into that analysis about players that actually pan out but it just feels like the the pro Western hockey league bias is still existing, even though maybe not as warranted as it once was. We remember of course, that players like Sidney Crosby and Nathan McKinnon came out of the queue, right? Everybody remembers this stuff, <laughs> but here's, here's the thing that's interesting to me. And I will confess after 20 plus years now working in the Ontario hockey league, I, I've got the blinders on. I, I pay very little attention to the other leagues. So past biases, I, I definitely kind of grew up in this game through the era that you mentioned, Dan, where it, it seemed that the best goaltenders you were going to get came out of Quebec for whatever reason. The Patrick Waugh effect was discussed back then, whatever. My point is paying so little attention to the other league, I wasn't really acutely aware of any sort of pecking order, which league was better than the other leagues, for example. And I would certainly agree with what you just said that really a across the CHL, You've got the three leagues that are virtually on par with one another in terms of what you get on any given night when you go to the rink to watch a game. But what I find interesting in this analysis, again, we're kind of just scratching the surface, but the the O and the dub 
are kind of neck and neck when it comes to players sent to the NHL or World Juniors or whatever. But the question I'm asking myself is, what is a junior hockey franchise's focus? Is the focus winning the National Junior Hockey Trophy, the Memorial Cup? Or is the focus on feeding the National Hockey League, satisfying Hockey Canada? And I think that's an interesting question that comes out of an analysis like this, as surface as that analysis may be. But that's the question I'm asking now. What are you in the business for? Winning championships or feeding the pros? Because we know, we know when we feed the pros and when we satisfy Hockey Canada, there's a little bit of dinero that comes along with it. Yeah, and all I could say to that one is I know a few fairly successful people through these loops that would argue they're linked. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you seek winning at the junior level, you're going to succeed in in terms of producing pros and sending people to Team Canada. And I think Mark and Dale Hunter would be the, the best examples of that. How many London Knights have been drafted into the NHL or made the NHL or made Team Canada and how much success have the London Knights had on the junior scale? And you see this with a number of franchises. Every All three CHL leagues have their model franchises where – they just seem to be factories for churning out draft picks and churning out Team Canada players. And and so I, I think those two are tied together I, more so than, say, a league like the AHL where, you know, are you developing players for the NHL? Or are you trying to win the Calder Cup? Are you playing the younger kids? Are you playing some veterans? In the, in the junior loops, it's fairly consistent that you are you have cycles where your team's a little bit older and you're going for it. And if if you can succeed at winning at the junior loop, odds are a number of the kids from your team are going to be on NHL radar. So I would I would say that they're they're kind of linked together and you maybe don't have to choose a focus because if you're doing it right, you're probably achieving both. All right. Well, I appreciate you all putting up with this brief little tangent on this episode of the OHL podcast. A reminder, check out Fridays with Farwell on the OHL podcast YouTube channel. But not now, unless you just want to catch up on last season's episodes. I'll start them again when the season starts in September. One of the other things that we had planned to talk about this week, Dan, is the pipeline to the pros. And we know, of course, that players come through major junior hockey in the OHL with the intention of making it to the next level. We see coaches graduate all the time. And you know what? Other staff as well, in this case, the video coach for the Kitchener Rangers, Hendricks Haynes, graduates to, what is it? Data scientist with the Calgary Flames. Good job by Hendricks. But it just shows, again, how... These jobs in major junior hockey in Canada serve as stepping stones to another level. Yeah, and I and I think that speaks loudly to what we just discussed in the previous segment, Mike, about the quality of these three leagues. And when you see staff being poached from these organizations straight into the NHL, that's that speaks very highly of these leagues and the quality of people in the leagues, not just players. We're talking about the sports staff, uh, the athletics therapists, the you, you name it. All these people that go with these teams are thought of as just a notch below the pro level and ready to make that step once they've had a bit of experience at this level. So I think it's the real story here, Mike, is just that, how how quality this CHL loop is on and off the ice. Yeah, and that's such a good way to put it, right? The quality both on and off the ice. And let's be honest about this, okay? Even if you're in, and I'm not trying to pick on Owen Sound, I'm just using it as the example because it's the smallest market in the O, but you are a part of a functioning, dare I say, pro-style hockey team. And the only thing that changes at the next level is scale. The hockey operations, you might have more staff, but 
it's the same sort of thing in terms of game day preparation, whatever your job is in the Ontario Hockey League is going to be very similar to the National Hockey League, with the exception that you're part of a bigger staff on a bigger stage. That's, that's pretty much it. And I think I forget which one of the uh, former OHL coaches it was, if it was Paul Maurice or Peter DeBoer, but one of them recently said, it's still hockey. It's still the same game. You're still coaching the same sport at elite level and the principles and tactics don't really change that much. Obviously with younger kids, 16 and 17 year olds, you have a little bit more psychology involved than you do necessarily with adults. But at the same time, at the root of it, it's the same thing. So if you can prove you're you're capable of the job at the junior A level and in the CHL, your job really isn't changing a whole lot other than, like you said, the scale and the size probably of your support staff. All right, let me just draw back the curtain a little bit before we get to a a fun little feature on this week's episode when Dan and I are going to pick our uh, top performers from categories in the O this year, forward, D, goaltender, and rookie. We'll get to that in a moment, but here's pulling back the curtain just a little bit because Hendricks Haynes uh, was the video coach with the Kitchener Rangers, which is, of course, the team that I cover. I'm around them an awful lot. The young man's first name is Hendricks. So it may not surprise people of a certain vintage that his nickname became Jimmy, as in Jimmy Hendrix. As soon as I heard that was Hendrix's, a.k.a. Jimmy's nickname, I said right away, I know exactly who christened him with that nickname, and it would be none other than assistant coach Dennis Weidman, because it was also Dennis Weidman that gave one of my favorite nicknames in my time covering the game. And look, Every hockey player has a nickname. Every hockey broadcaster has a nickname. Anybody around hockey ends up with a nickname of some kind. You either put an E or an ER on the end of the name. That's how this works. But that's why I like Jimmy, because, you know, why not if your name is Hendrix? And as much as I love and think it's better that Arbor Jackeye in the National Hockey League became Wi-Fi, fantastic nickname, in Kitchener, For his final season, he became Al because his first name is Arbor. And again, this was completely lost on teenage hockey players, but anybody of a certain vintage again that watched those legendary New York Islanders teams knows all about Al Arbor. And for a time, Arbor Jackeye in Kitchener was Al, as so christened by assistant coach Dennis Weidman. So there you go. (laughs) Well, and... Farwell, anytime anyone lends a little bit of creativity and wit to a hockey nickname, I'm all in. <laughs> right? Why not, right? You, Arbs, that's what he got most of the time. No, let's call him Al. Hendricks, I don't Hainsey. Nope, let's call him Jimmy. It, it worked out really well. So I'm with you. Let's let's mix it up a little bit. And Dennis Weidman, who, by the way, I'm going to also add this, who also has been known to read books, like actual books without pictures, not about hockey, just books on the bus, came up with these creative nicknames. So... Kudos to Wides on that. All right. Dan and I, we we went back and forth on this. And Dan asked, okay, so should we compare notes ahead of time so we don't end up with a list of the four same players? I said, no. If, if it's the four same players for each of these positions coming up, then that's the way it was meant to be. So we're going to get into our top per- performers from the past year in the Ontario Hockey League.
Okay, Dansky, as I continue the nickname theme here, uh, you start us off. You want to go forward first? Sure, I can kick okay. off four, and then you, then I'll let you uh, go first. The next one, just so we don't uh, overlap. So fair enough. I, I, I don't think I took your guy here, Mike. I really, I this was my toughest category because I had a whole bunch of, of candidates here, and and no obvious one stood out. But where I'm, where I leaned here, Mike was uh, my guy Amadeus Lombardi in Flint. The reason I did that was was for a few reasons. Obviously, he finished second in league scoring, so that's that's the easy one. Um, 43-point jump over his previous season, 27-goal jump over his previous season. A really telltale thing for me is stats within the team, and he was 21 points clear of anyone else on his team, which says something about the overall contribution you're making to your team. And it wasn't just points. There's a team that lost who was thought to be their offensive leader in Brendan Othman early in the year when he requested a trade. Things could have gone off the rails a little bit for Flint at that point, it was held together by the efforts of a, of a good core there. I felt led by an under-the-radar guy in this league, Amadeus Lombardi. So uh, amidst a sea of quality candidates, Mike, that's my forward of the year. That's a very interesting choice, Dan, because even though you didn't think you took my guy, you took my guy. <laughs> and the funny thing about it is I was trying to talk myself out of it. Not that I thought we would be the same, but I've kind of been like, uh, I've kind of been fanboying Amadeus Lombardi through a lot of this season. You just, you got to love the story as a 13th rounder into the O, the increase that you mentioned from 59 to 103 points, works himself into a deal with the Detroit Red Wings and very deservedly so. He was only held pointless 14 times on the season. So he had points in 53 of the 67 games for the Firebirds and six out of seven in the playoffs, including two goals in game seven, even though Flint came up short against SAG in round number one. So anyway, uh, I had the same guy as you did. I, I wanted to to go with Ty Voigt because I just loved the way he started the year. And then obviously Maggio lapped him, but he hung around near the top and it was such a surprise, at least to me, maybe I wasn't paying enough attention. And I even gave some consideration in my mind to Logan Morrison, just because I think that guy was uh, a performer through and through and, and right into the playoffs with Ottawa as well. But no, I, I landed on Lombardi for many of the same reasons that you just outlined. So it's unanimous on a panel of two. Amadeus Lombardi was the top forward. We saw this past season in the Ontario hockey league. Okay. Let's go to D. Uh, I'll be really surprised if we don't have the same one here. To me, this was the easiest one to make. And even easy, despite in the playoffs where there were some people not exactly thrilled with his play and a knee-on-knee hit where they didn't think it was penalized properly or whatever because his name was, oh, I'm talking, of course, about Brant Clark. I don't know how you look past him as the defenseman of the year or the top performing defenseman in the O this past year, unless you're going to make the argument and you could, that he didn't belong in the league, that he never should have been sent back. That's fair. But the fact that the guy finished fifth in defense scoring by playing just 31 games, getting 61 points, Brant Clark is for my money, the top defensive performer in the O this year. Well, yeah. And like you said, Mike, it seems like an easy choice, but I'm going to shock and say that I actually went a different way. And good man, I'm, I'm, 
no argument at all with your choice. Okay, let's just be clear. No argument with your choice. I'm I'm gonna tell myself that it's partly because he didn't play a full season here that I can go a different direction. I had three that were just screaming number one. The, uh, Pavel Minchikov, the numbers he put put up, I thought it was a also a fairly obvious choice. But the guy I'm going with, Mike, for my defensive uh, performer of the year is Ethan Del Mastro, and the reason I'm going with Ethan Del Mastro is is for a few well for a few reasons really. So. Beast on the D for the Mississauga Steelheads, coveted trade acquisition by the Sarnia Sting, played massive minutes all year, and was their defensive catalyst both from an offensive standpoint, over a point a game as a defender, and from a shutdown, just tough to play against standpoint to logging just huge minutes through the season and into the playoffs, carried a lot of that defense score, really solidified it and got Sarnia to that top contender level and of course with his stint on team canada too at christmas uh, a, a busy hockey season for for ethan del mastro but of, of those three that i felt were head and shoulders above anyone else in the league could have gone anyway i just felt from the two-way game that he played offensive defensively just minute munching everything you want a defenseman to do pro written all over him del mastro's my guy that's an excellent analysis of the player who wasn't even on my radar. I went to Clark immediately and then much like Lombardi tried to talk myself out of it. I had Minchikov in the mix as well. The only thing that held me back from that is having had some live viewings of Minchikov, not to take anything away, but was he really a defenseman or was he a <laughs> rover? I mean, and again, you're a defenseman on paper and and he I get it, but it was a little bit of a unique style for Minchikov. Certainly when I watched him in Saginaw, didn't get to see him as much in Ottawa. I'm surprised though. The other guy I was talking myself out of or trying to talk myself into was Ty Nelson. I don't know how you overlook my boy Ty Nelson up in North Bay. I like him as much in North Bay as I think I like Amadeus Lombardi in Flint, but ultimately I went with Brent Clark. Yeah. And I mean, there's no wrong answer there. You're right. Ty, Ty Nelson's a terrific hockey player too. I just, Felt the supporting cast there was pretty strong. And and like you said with Minchikov, I mean, let's be fair, Nelson can be a little bit of a gambler on the offensive side too. So I'm looking for, I'm splitting hairs to try and deduct points, Mike, to try and come to a conclusion. And and I just went for the, the most well-rounded package I could find. So, All right. So we've got Amadeus Lombardi unanimously as our top forward performer. We've got a Brant Clark and an Ethan Del Mastro on the blue line. Let's go next to goaltender, Dan, and you're first. Okay, again, I hope I didn't take your guy. Uh, this was another category where I felt there were easily two or three that stood above the pack. My guy, just because I feel like he did it all year, is Michael Simpson on the Peterborough Peets. And the reason I went with with him, well, a couple of reasons again. Stiff competition from a few others in the league, for sure. Numbers, uh, kind of in that third, fourth range for goaltenders across the board. But what I really loved about Michael Simpson was giving your that team that chance to win every game and his team probably needed it more than some of the others that were in contention where Peterborough was not the highest scoring team, a lot of two, one, three, two, even four, three type games, a lot of close games. They weren't running away from a lot of teams this year, which puts a lot more strain on your goaltender. Every shot's more critical when you're not up six, two. So we saw it all year. We saw it through the playoffs. He knocked off some absolute powerhouses there. You're looking at Ottawa and North Bay. This guy was just there as the backbone for that team all year when they were suffering injuries. Uh, you name it. Uh, I just felt that Michael Simpson was kind of on the hot seat all year and kind of performed all year. So he's my guy. Who you got? Man, that is 
That's so well argued. And Michael Simpson was absolutely on my radar, loved the numbers. Uh, by the way, should point out, trains with our good friend Matt Smith goaltending, who's a great friend of this podcast. Recency bias cost Simpson if this nod is worth anything to him for me, because there were a couple of stinkers, right? One in the final versus London, another in the Memorial Cup. And I thought, ah, like, I, I want to see, but the way you argue it, I'm not going to try to poke holes in the consistency and, and the magnitude of the games that Simpson was was backstopping the Pete's for. So I think it's a great pick. I didn't take him, but he was definitely in consideration for me until I, unfortunately, I guess, wrote him off for those couple of stinkers. Another guy I was looking at, but I just couldn't get past the overall save percentage was Benjamin Godro. And, and the reason I looked at him is because I think it's underappreciated or valued his bounce back from the world juniors. And I know, I mean, bounce back from what he had a bad game. And then the way the tournament works, he doesn't get to play any more games, but he could have come back to the Ontario hockey league and sulked and sucked. And he did neither of those things. And I, I really like him for that. And that speaks to me about what's going on between the ears. And it's certainly not easy for a goaltender, but I just couldn't get past the overall numbers. 889 on the save percentage doesn't excite me. So I went with, what I believe to be the obvious choice Then I'm staying in the Eastern conference and I'm going with Dom DiVincentis because how can you resist the numbers that he put up the biggest one though? And again, it's two thirty-three goals against it's a nine nineteen save percentage. It's five shutouts, which is tied with Michael Simpson for most in the league. But the big thing that stood out for me is DiVincentis did not lose back-to-back games all year long that's michael di pietro-esque as far as i'm concerned so di vincentis gets my nod as the top goaltender of the year so we got simpson and di vincentis in net we've got del mastro and brant clark on d we've got amadeus lombardi unanimously up front i guess it's me that's going to start on rookie right all right so i went and well again i'm thinking well michael Mises is the obvious choice right Probably. It's a little bit too easy. I went a little further down the list, and I think off paper enough to be different than you, but we'll see. I went with Zane Perak this year as my rookie of the year, just primarily for that record that he set most goals scored by a 16-year-old defenseman. And don't forget, too, the thing, the other thing about Perak, and, and he got comparisons to Brant Clark during the season, at least from people I was talking to, but for a young man with that kind of poise in that position, because D is not an easy position to learn at in the Ontario hockey league, but he had two assists through his first nine games of the season. And then he kind of started figuring it out and finding his game. And again, I'll mention establishing a record for most goals scored by a 16 year old defenseman is good enough for me to make you my top rookie of the year. Excellent choice, Mike. Cause you know, I'm a prec fanboy. Uh, Kids playing defense, wrist shots, wrist shots, wrist shots on net. Um, great pick. Uh, and, and he was in my top three. So a lot of these categories, I came down to a top three and then reasoned it through to come to my winner. So I think like you picking Dom DiVincentis, one of the two of us had to. And in this category, one of the two of us has to pick Michael Misa. And I, I, I've got to go there. And the logic being, of course, the number one factor is the age. And this is a guy that missed some time and still led rookies in scoring as a 15 year old player, as a 2007 born player. And that has to, you, you just can't diminish that in terms of the overall race. Michael Mises, just a terrific player. 
is going to be one of the top, if not the top player in the OHL within a couple of years. So I think that the season he had at his age, put him over the top and Parekh was one of my other three. And just, just because I want to fully disclose all of my thinking and logic here, Mike, my, my third candidate in this category was Easton Cowan. And I just, I, I, a big believer in him, but I think his playoffs really pushed him to the top of this heap. He's just so consistent all year and such a dynamo. Uh, whenever London needed something, it seemed to come from Cowan and Barkey. And Cowan just came to compete every shift and just got better and better as the year went on and really put himself above the crowd in that regard. So my choice is Misa, but those were my top three. Can't argue with Misa at all. And for all of the reasons you mentioned, and we can use this as a shameless opportunity, not that I think they need our help, but go buy some tickets at the Dow next year because Michael Misa and the Saginaw spirit are going to be a wagon. I mean, it's way premature to talk about this. And and we know that that 05 London Knights team was, you know, as good as they get in the Canadian Hockey League. Nine, right? That was... It was nine losses. It was single digits. Or was it seven? 59. Yeah. 59, seven, one and one. Is that right? I'm going off the top that, of my head here. Yeah. I think that sounds right. Yeah. Or 57. Anyway. Yeah. 57, Whatever. Nine. I think it was 59, seven, one and one. Does that add up? I think it does. Anyway. Yeah, it does. That adds up to 68. <laughs> we'll go with that part. Either way, <laughs> way premature to talk about this, but it's, it's hard to look at Saginaw right now and predict the number of games they will lose next year. No pressure, Saginaw Spirit. No pressure. But they're going to be a beast. All right. (laughs) So as we lead you up to and then through the NHL draft before we take our summer break, we're going to have some fun like this every week on the show and, and do a little something like this. So next week, Dan, it's going to be our top three prospects of the season. Because as you pointed out before we recorded today, We've been talking prospects all year, having a prospect of the week. So let's look at the top three players that, you know, we saw develop. They might not go in the first round of the NHL draft, but we'll look at some prospects in our next episode. Yeah, it's a lot of fun to look back at the year that we've had. And I think as you see a full season elapse, players start to rise above. And that when we were picking our choices for today, Mike, I'm sure you noticed the same thing when you're considering people for these categories that in each one there was just a couple that started to rise above the pack so we'll see that next week too for the nhl prospects of the year you want to uh share your thoughts with us and tell us who we overlooked on your favorite team by all means do so again the email address is ohlpodcast at rogers.com dan and i will be back a week from today next tuesday which is the 20th of june as we're getting closer to that draft but On Friday, we will have our usual feature interview. So get ready for that on the 16th. And I'm I'm pretty excited for this one. He's a member of an OHL championship team, the only OHL championship in this franchise's history. And he holds a record that Connor McDavid threatened a few years ago, but could not eclipse. And so we'll hear from this former OHLer coming up on Friday. I think it'll be a fun one. Well, yeah, and just imagine when he's able to tell his kids, yeah, Connor McDavid, just a shade below me, kids. <laughs> it's, it's funny you bring that up because all of a sudden, when McDavid was threatening this record, his name starts coming up on sports casts all over the place. And he said his kids and a lot of buddies too, but it like 
Daddy, are they talking about? Well, yeah, but that was a long time ago. And <laughs> anyway, so we have a little bit of fun with that. And by the way, I'll just I'll give you the stat. 51 in 21. Let that sink in. 51 in 21. That's what this guy did. And Connor McDavid could not. So that's coming up on our feature interview guest on Friday. That guy over there is Dan Mahar. Find him on Twitter at Dan Mahar. I'm Mike Farwell at Farwell underscore OHL. Thanks for sticking with us on the OHL podcast. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jag and Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.